poets and intellectuals of this time. The innovative minds. The intelligentsia. Those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers. The revolutionaries. Those living apart from this big unrest. Those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original, and brutal. You have tuned into the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you for another hour of poetry and music. And let's settle in with a track from Regina Spector's new album, Remember Us to Life, called The Trapper and the Furrier. The trapper and the furrier went walking through paradise. And all the animals lay clawless and toothless before them. And all the mothers stepped away from their babies, leaving them open and easy to handle. The trapper and the furrier went walking through paradise. They took some for now and they got some for later. And they marveled at the pelts, not a bullet hole in them. And they filled up the cages with pets for their children. What a strange, strange world we live in. Where the good are damned and the wicked forgiven. What a strange, strange world we live in. Those who don't have those who got get given more, 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 more. The owner and the manager went walking through paradise, and all the shelves were filled with awards and achievements, and on every corner a power presentation. And on every floor an army of workers The owner and the manager went walking through paradise And all their charts showed so much promise and progress No sick days, no snow days, no unions, no taxes And they wandered towards home, kings of their castles What a strange, strange world we live in the good are damned and the wicked forgiven What a strange, strange world we live in Those who don't have loose, those who got get given More, 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 more
closest when walking through paradise And all the sick were around them with fevers unbreaking Crying and bleeding and coughing and shaking And arms outstretched prescription collecting Pharmacist when walking through paradise. Press suits in a courtroom, aroma of chloroform. And they smiled at the judge disposition so sunny. Cause they didn't have the cure, but sure needed the money. What a strange, strange world we live in. Where the good are damned and the wicked forgiven What a strange, strange world we live in Those who don't have lose, those who got give given More, 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 more More, 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 more Regina Spector with The Trapper and the Furrier. The concept of paradise was explored by English romantic poet William Blake. He illustrates this strangeness in a collection of illustrated poems called Songs of Innocence and of Experience, self-published in 1789 and later became Songs of Innocence and of Experience showing the two contrary sides of the human soul. The poems introduce the innocent world of childhood against the adult's world of corruption and repression. Innocence and experience are definitions of consciousness that rethink Milton's existential mythic states of paradise and fall. Blake considered childhood a state of protected innocence and rejected the Christian notion of original sin, also called ancestral sin. Humanity's state of sin resulting from the fall of man, stemming from Adam and Eve's rebellion in Eden, namely the sin of disobedience in consuming from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This was the time of the Industrial Revolution, a time when children were forced to work from a young age and physical punishment was considered normal. The poem, The Chimney Sweeper, from both Songs of Innocence and of Experience, shows the dark picture of child labour and social injustice. In the following piece, The Chimney Sweeper, of Innocence, Blake can be interpreted to criticise a view of the church that, through work and hardship, reward in the next life would be obtained. This results in an acceptance of exploitation observed in the closing lines. If all do their duty, they need not fear harm. Blake uses this poem to highlight the dangers of an innocent, naive view, demonstrating how this allows the societal abuse of child labour. The Chimney Sweeper When my mother died, I was very young and my father sold me while yet my tongue could scarcely cry, Weep, 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 weep. So your chimneys I sweep, and in soot I sleep. 
There's little Tom Dacre who cried when his head that curled like a lamb's back was shaved. So I said, hush, Tom, never mind it, for when your head's bare, you know that the soot cannot spoil your white hair. And so he was quiet, and that very night, as Tom was asleeping, he had such a sight that thousands of sweepers, Dick, Joe, Ned and Jack, were all of them locked up in coffins of black. And by came an angel who had a bright key, and he opened the coffins and set them all free. Then down a green plain, leaping, laughing they run, and wash in a river, and shine in the sun. Then, naked and white, all their bags left behind, they rise upon clouds and sport in the wind. And the angel told Tom, if he be a good boy, he'd have God for his father, and never want joy. And so Tom awoke, and we rose in the dark, and got with our bags and our brushes to work. Though the morning was cold, Tom was happy and warm. So if all do their duty, they need not fear harm. That was The Chimney Sweeper from Songs of Innocence. In the next piece from Songs of Experience, The Chimney Sweeper further explores this flawed perception of child labour in a corrupt society. The poem shows how the church's teachings of suffering and hardship in this life in order to obtain heaven are damaging and make up a heaven of the child's suffering, justifying it as holy. The Chimney Sweeper A little black thing among the snow, crying weep, weep, in notes of woe. Where are thy father and mother, say? They are both gone up to the church to pray. Because I was happy upon the heath, and smiled among the winter's snow, they clothed me in the clothes of death and taught me to sing the notes of woe. And because I am happy and dance and sing, they think they have done me no injury and are gone to praise God and his priest and king who made up a heaven of our misery. Into a mountain of self-pity 
You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, broadcasting nationally since 2007 across a community radio network. We just heard The Crew Shadows with Even Angels Fall. Before that, Robert Glenester reading The Chimney Sweeper by English Romantic poet William Blake. In songs of innocence and of experience showing the two contrary sides, states of the human soul, Blake concentrates on the corruption of city life. William Wordsworth also criticised the industrialised society. In the early 1800s, he wrote several sonnets criticising the modern world for being absorbed in materialism and distancing itself from nature. This next poem, The World is Too Much With Us, is one of those works. It reflects his philosophy that humanity must get in touch with nature in order to progress spiritually. And a language warning for the track that follows. The world is too much with us. Late and soon, getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon. The sea that bears her bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours and are upgathered now like sleeping flowers. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. Great God, I'd rather be a pagan suckled in a creed outworn. So might I, standing on this pleasant lee, have glimpses that would make me less forlorn, have sight of Proteus rising from the sea, or hear old Triton blow his wreathed horn. Last dance, 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 last dance
dreams in which I'm dying are the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it hard to take. When people run in circles, it's a very, very Together in this country. Enough bullshit as it is. In fact, there's just enough. Did you know that? Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. Where would we be without our safe, familiar American bullshit? Land of the free, home of the brave, the American dream. All men are equal, justice is blind, the press is free, your vote counts. Business is honest, the good guys win, the police are on your side, God is watching you, your standard of living will never decline, and everything is going to be just fine. The official national bullshit story. That was Chris Geo with Mad World, and before that, Sir Cedric Horwick reading The World is Too Much With Us by English Romantic poet William Wordsworth. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein when the scientific revolution had already changed the face of Europe and was beginning to fuel the Industrial Revolution. The famous horror novel was published in 1818 under the title Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. It tells the story of Victor Frankenstein, a scientist who tries to create a living being for the good of humanity, but instead produces a monster. This is a tale of mankind's obsession with two opposing forces, creation and science. The following piece is an excerpt from the beginning of the book. From John Walton, The Harbour, Archangel, Russia, 28th of March. I have hired a vessel and sailors, men on whom I can depend, possessed of dauntless courage. The captain is a person of excellent disposition, who has been as far north as any human. As we prepare for our heroic undertaking, I try in vain to be persuaded that the North Pole is the seat of frost and desolation. It ever presents itself to my imagination as the region of beauty and delight, where the sun is forever visible. A land surpassing in wonders and beauty every region hitherto discovered on the habitable globe. We shall tread a land never before imprinted by the foot of man. Do I not deserve to accomplish some great purpose? If I succeed in this enterprise, many, many months, perhaps years, will pass before you and I may meet. If I fail, you will see me soon again, or never. Cast off forward! Aye, aye, Captain! Cast off aft! My voyage commences. July the 31st, we are halted, surrounded by ice, and have been completely enveloped in fog. Starboard 40! What is it? A sledge! We're 
Dogs are of normal stature. I should say he is. We are hundreds of miles from land. We are. Can you distinguish his features? No. Could there be land not on the maps? I did not think so, but he must have come from somewhere and be heading somewhere. The fog's closing in again. He's out of sight. How long before the ice breaks and we can move on? Tonight, tomorrow, the day after. Maybe we'll find the North Pole is inhabited by giants. Hey, Mr. Walton. August the 4th. I am in good spirits. My men are bold and apparently firm of purpose. Being icebound did not seem to dismay them. What can stop the determined heart and resolved will of man? We move now amongst the drifting flows of ice, but slowly... Yes? Captain said I should disturb you, Mr. Walton. What is it? The captain requests you come and see. Mr. Walton, another man on a sledge. Another? I think he's insane. Sir, who are you? My name is Victor Frankenstein. Where have you traveled from? Europe. Europe? Yes. Bring them aboard. Bring them aboard. Yeah. He looks half dead. More dead than alive. Is he saying he's come all the way from Europe over the ice? How is this possible? Mm, makes me think of the giant. Take Mr. Frankenstein down to the galley. Rub him with brandy. Feed him. We might have to redraw the maps.
This is the Bohemian Beat, and that was Morticians with Wonderland. And before that, an extract from Frankenstein by Mary Shelley from a BBC dramatisation. Not only was Frankenstein conceived during the summer of 1816, the year without a summer, but also The Vampire by John Polidori, a work considered to be the first to successfully fuse the disparate elements of vampirism into a coherent literary genre. John Polidori was Lord Byron's young physician. They were staying at the Villa Diodati by Lake Geneva when they were visited by Percy Bysshe Shelley and Mary Shelley. Like Frankenstein, the vampire draws extensively on the mood at the villa. Polidori's text is woven from the invisible dynamics of the Byron Shelley circle, and especially the humiliations he suffered at Byron's hand. Aubrey, a young Englishman, meets Lord Ruthven, a man of mysterious origins, who has entered London society. This is an extract from the beginning of The Vampire by John Polidori. He was handsome, frank and rich. For these reasons, upon his entering into the gay circles, many mothers surrounded him, striving which should describe, with least truth, their languishing or romping favourites. The daughters at the same time, by their brightening countenances when he approached, and by their sparkling eyes when he opened his lips, soon led him into false notions of his talents and his merit. Attached as he was to the romance of his solitary hours, he was startled at finding that, except in the tallow and wax candles that flickered not from the presence of a ghost, but from want of snuffing, there was no foundation in real life for any of that congeries of pleasing pictures and descriptions contained in those volumes from which he had formed his study. Finding, however, some compensation in his gratified vanity, he was about to relinquish his dreams when the extraordinary being we have above described crossed him in his career. He watched him, and the very impossibility of forming an idea of the character of a man entirely absorbed in himself, who gave few other signs of his observation of external objects than the tacit assent to their existence implied by the avoidance of their contact, allowing his imagination to picture everything that flattered its propensity to extravagant ideas, he soon formed this object into the hero of a romance and determined to observe the offspring of his fancy, rather than the person before him. He became acquainted with him, paid him attentions, and so far advanced upon his notice that his presence was always recognized. He gradually learnt that Lord Ruthven's affairs were embarrassed, and soon found, from the notes of preparation in Blank Street, that he was about to travel. Exactly sure anymore. Mm. 
Where's this going to? Can I follow through? Or just follow you for a while? Does anyone ever get this right? I feel no Stone Age with The Vampire of Time and Memory. And before that, B.J. Harrison reading from The Vampire by John Polidori. French poet Charles Baudelaire had six of his poems banned from his seminal work, The Flowers of Evil, a poetry collection published in 1857. Judges argued that these pieces would necessarily lead to the excitement of the senses by a crude realism offensive to public decency. The following poem, The Vampire's Metamorphosis, was one of the poems banned. The Vampire's Metamorphosis by Charles Baudelaire. The woman, meanwhile, twisting like a snake on hot coals and kneading her breast against the steel of her corset. From her mouth, red as strawberries, let flow these words, impregnated with musk. I, I have moist lips, and I know the art of losing old conscious in the depths of a bed. I dry all tears on my triumphant breasts, and make old men laugh with the laughter of children. I replace, for him who sees me nude, without veils, the moon, the sun, the stars and the heavens. I am, my dear scholar, so learned in pleasure, that when I smother a man in my fearful arms, or when timid and licentious, frail and robust, I yield my bosom to biting kisses. 
On those two soft cushions, which swoon with emotion, the powerless angels would damn themselves for me. When she had sucked all the marrow from my bones, and I languidly turned toward her to give her an amorous kiss, I saw no more than a wine skin with gluey sides all full of pus. Frozen with terror, I closed both my eyes, and when I opened them to the bright light, at my side, instead of a robust mannequin who seemed to have laid in a store of blood, there quivered confusedly a heap of old bones, which of themselves gave forth the cry of a weathercock, or of a sign at the end of an iron rod, that the wind swings to and fro on a winter night.
we just heard Eland with Weeping Nights, and before that, Charles Boulair with The Vampire's Metamorphosis, read by Courtney. This is the Bohemian Beat, and now from gothic tales of the 1816 to a modern-day gothic radio play, Grooming, where literary mystery is unravelling in the little town of Stokersvale, where police investigate the appearance of an amnesic woman in the graveyard. Her story puts the officers on edge. They take her back to the graveyard hoping it will spark her memory. This is episode two of Grooming. Are you okay? Where are we going? Let's just start walking slow. Constable Jones won't be around. Parking near southern entrance. Transferring suspects. Switching to mobile. I don't want to go any further. That's okay. We can sit down under that fig tree. He's gone. The homeless man, you mean? Yes, the ambulance took him. To the hospital? Oh, uh, well, actually, I think they went straight to the mall. Can't you undo one of these? Oh, all right, then. Are you left or right-handed? Uh, left? Yes, left-handed. So, do you remember what you were doing when we arrived? Why were you trying to hide the old man? I wasn't trying to. What are you staring at? There he is! What? Who? Hey, come back! Oh shit, she's gonna climb over the bloody wall! Get back up! What the hell were you thinking? Sorry. You'll catch her, mate. BKG? Sergeant, I've just got a noise complaint from Telebank. Don't tell me some hillbilly's doing burnouts around the pub car park. No, uh, no. Loud music. Well, see if anybody else complains. You can't spare a vehicle to go all the way out there. But I could. You might have to go to St Benedict's to help Jonesy. VKG, Stoker 4? You copy Stoker 4? VKG, Stoker 4. Sorry, Sarge. It's all good. Mal Corder. Caught who? The woman. How did she... Didn't you cuff her? Well, we have now. We had an incident. Jesus. So you don't need backup? All good. We're bringing her back to the station. Yeah, well, when you get here, I'll be doing the interviewing. Over and out. Uh, Sarge, I told you to wait until there's another complaint. We've had three. One old lady reckons it sounds like the apocalypse. Is it a band? <laughs> you know, in the Bible. Oh, don't you start. And Lucy Murdoch keeps pestering me about... Who? Your favourite reporter from the Star Online. Oh, that... She reckons she spoke to an eyewitness who saw two men in the graveyard. Yeah, well... Tell Miss Murdoch we are investigating and will make a statement soon, sure. And the woman is helping us with our inquiries. Roger that. Okay. Now I'm going to tell Sergeant Lawson you're here. Why? He wants to meet you and ask you some more questions, all right? Oh, so many questions. Can I get you anything? Coffee? Tea? Water? Mm, water. You haven't eaten since... It's... all right. Sarge, I know I shouldn't have, but I was trying to win her trust. Went well, did it? Oh, Frank. Anyway, Mal's taken her into the interview. Good. Now I can get some sense out of her. Frank, we don't want to make her even more uncomfortable. Leave it to me. Good luck. He'll need it. Do you think she's telling the truth? About the man reappearing while we were there? 
I saw the look on her face when she spotted him. I'll never forget it. But you didn't see his face? He was on the other side of the park, running into the distance. And Constable Jones, he couldn't confirm the sighting either? Inspector, we were both occupied with restraining the woman. She suddenly became... It was like she was... possessed. Hmm. Interview resumed at 7.34, Sergeant Frank Lawson. <clears throat> Sorry, Miss Darling, is it? Uh, I want to... It's just that... I'm having trouble understanding what you told Constable Jones. He's a fine young policeman, but sometimes he... Look, can I just confirm what's happened so far? Yes. Uh, well, when Constable Brady got the call, she and Constable Jones drove to the church, ran through the graveyard and found you in the shrubbery, kneeling over a body. A male. We were attempting to identify. Who was he? I don't know. you never seen him before? No. So why were you there with the man? We were going to get some food. You said you'd never seen him before. I meant I didn't know the old man. But... Uh, so you mean there were... T so who's the we going to get food? You and who? Him. Who? No, no, I mean the man you called Darling. Yes. What does that mean? Uh, nothing, nothing, doesn't matter. Uh, excuse me, Sergeant. What? The coroner's on the phone. Problem? Uh, you might like to pause for a moment and speak with him. We've had another six noise complaints too. Hang on. Interview suspended, 7.36. Yes, thanks, sir. Uh, we're aware and responding. Uh, thank you. Uh, have a nice night. Right. Sarge, that was the 11th call. Seems it's a doof somewhere near uh, McElraith's crossing. Right, Jonesy, you and me in the Land Cruiser now. Hold on, I'm going... He's going to a DV with me. Take Jack. But check she's okay in there first, eh? Before you go. We can't keep her here forever. And the coroner? Uh, Mavis. After you do the DV. Tell Kath. God, you must be getting close. Don't matter. You think this is my outpatient in there? Inspector Campbell, as I live and breathe. Yes, it's been ages. How are things? Oh, you know, Kath. Dead <laughs> as usual. <laughs> so, Senior Constable Brady passed on the details, I guess. Yes, the man in the graveyard. Here it is. Brian O'Malley, age approximately 52, heart attack. Who identified him? Yes, that was a bit of a coincidence. Would you believe the Ambos knew him? Luck of the Irish. So no injuries? No. Well... Not recent ones. He'd been living rough for a while, it seems. So just old scars? Except for some marks on his neck. Not puncture marks? No. <laughs> oh, Kath. Still reading that romantic stuff. <laughs> anyway, Maeve, I mean, Senior Constable Brady will get there soon to sign the D66. Good as gold, Kath. Gosh! There's hundreds of them! Couple are even wearing clothes. There we go! Hey, what's your problem, mate? First, I am not your mate. Mate. Insane. Come on, party boomba. Higgs. Hang loose, Sergeant. You know we're going to start it again as soon as you're gone. Oh, yeah? We'll see about that. Chuck that cable in the back, Constable. You can collect it at the station during business hours. Higgs. 
And if we have to come back, bring the bloody Hello, Mavis. Come on through. Oh, thanks, Dr. Cargill. Sorry, I had to deal with... No problem. Down this end. So you talked to Inspector Campbell? Yes. How's Kath going? Still doing her masters? Finished, I think. So, simple heart attack, no suspicious marks. The inspector said his neck... Oh, that. Don't know about vampires. Here we go. See for yourself. But... Oh. He... He's gone. You mean... The body has disappeared. and truth could last or live whilst all while feelings keep some mortal slumber dark and deep I shouldn't weep I shouldn't weep If it were enough to feel to see your soft eyes gaze at me and dream the rest and burn and be a secret food of fires unseen I should not weep I should not Gian and Simon with I Should Not Weep, based on a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley. And before that, episode two of the radio play Grooming, written and produced by Paul Goodwin. 
starring Suze as woman, Yessa as Constable Mal Jones, Lydia as Senior Constable Mavis Brady, Paul as Sergeant Frank Lawson, Mitch as Probationary Constable Jack Mitchell, Alistair as Coroner Graham Cargill, and me as Inspector Kath Campbell. And a special thanks to Scaria and SAE Byron Bay for the audio recordings and use of the studio space. And if you missed the first episode, you can check it out on the Bohemian Beat website, thebohemianbeat.com. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. The Bohemian Beat will be back next week, same beat time, same Bohemian frequency, for more poetic adventures into the theatre of your mind. We will end with a track from PJ Harvey called Dear Darkness. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. i